All right, so we are in uh, chapter 7 of uh, the Church Discipline book. We're still in Matthew chapter 18. We're really uh, zeroing in on verses 15 through 17. And as you can see on the board, we're just going to kind of break it down and work our way through it. Um, as, as was done in the chapter, which I found incredibly helpful. Um, to begin, if we could, just have someone willing to read, um, actually, verses 15 through 20. Can we go ahead and, and start with, with that passage? Gary? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. 19, you said? A 19 and 20, please. Again, I say to you that if two agree <coughs> concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Okay, thank you. And before we dive into that passage, let's read a, a couple others as well. So this one in James um, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Um, if someone could volunteer to read that, and then someone be ready with Galatians chapter 6. Uh, verses 1 and 2, please. All right, Heather's got a hand, and then Mr. Bob. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thank you. And then Bob, Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, thank you. Um, probably should have asked this question in email, but um, I did ask you all to read those three passages. Um, Galatians 6, we're going to get into uh, much more in-depth here in, in a coming chapter. Um, actually, I think it's the very next chapter. Um, but... Having read all three of those together, what are some initial thoughts um, as far as kind of s seeing this all in, in one big idea? Maybe phrase a different way. How did reading James and Galatians help us maybe have a fuller picture of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 18? It helps to see the goal and get, seeing that over and over again. You see that in Matthew of uh, gaining your brother again. And James, you see that as uh, uh, saving the soul and covering a multitude of sins. You see yes. that in restoration in Galatians. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, a, it's a dire need. You know, uh, They are in danger, and, and, and we're trying to rescue them. Uh, we're trying to gain them back. Absolutely. What else? We have a responsibility to notice and then to, um, I don't like the word confront, 
and then to um, go to that person. Sure. Um, not just sit back and watch. Yes. So we are not simply observers, right? right? We need to be participants in this. Um, and I understand the hesitancy, you know, conf confront Almost, seems to yeah. carry with it an aggressive approach, right. and and I think reading these three passages together should should help us consider our approach. Um, you know, we we have spent time talking about speaking the truth in love. There's a way that we can approach someone and tell them the truth about their sin that is not helpful to them and and won't serve to gain our brother or sister back. Um, What else? Yes. I think in Galatians, where he tells us to um, to do it with the spirit of gentleness, he yes. also kind of warns us: um, each one looking to yourself. Because you know, the previous chapter talks a lot about the most. <coughs> I guess it even goes into this one. So not only. Um, watching ourselves that we're not tempted to do whatever they did. I mean, that's kind of how I usually think of it. But it, it's kind of surrounded by boastfulness. So I think mm. that helps us determine our attitude that we should go to somebody with, not a, <coughs> let me straighten you out. Yes. Go back to the speak the truth and love. Yes. Yeah, doing it in humility. You're not approaching them because you're better than them and they are somehow less. Uh, you're approaching them because... There are times where you have needed help, and, and you're here to offer them help as, as they need it. Um, we're, all, we're all in this together. So let's go back to Matthew 18. I'm sorry, did I miss any other hands? I'm sorry, yeah, Joel. Well, I just think it emphasizes, all three of them emphasize the fellowship idea, because we have to know the person well enough to, uh, even though we may be nervous about going to them, at least we would be uh, comfortable enough because we know that person well enough. Yes. Yes. Uh, true fellowship is not going to be that the only time I talk to you is when I'm pointing something wrong, you know, pointing out something wrong in your life. That's, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be involved and engaged in each other's lives um, so, that we can, um, so that we can have that closeness, so that if on occasion we do need to uh, approach someone uh, because of, of some sin in their life, it's, it's not the only interaction that we have with that individual. So, in chapter 7, uh, specifically on page 76, uh, what are some reasons that we might be hesitant to approach someone about their sin? He offers a few, and we've brought up a few. Uh, why might we be hesitant to, to approach someone about their sin? One of them is that we don't have a tendency to, we minimize sin today in, in various ways. And one of them is to say, oh, you know, that's not so bad or, you know, I've, I've done similar things. We have a tendency to minimize our sin, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he specifically brings that up. Um, starting, I guess, starting on, no, they're, they're at the top, um, no, I'm sorry, at the bottom of page 75, he leaves us in no doubt 
that people in God's kingdom sometimes sin, and that we must take sin seriously and can never simply ignore it. We can scarcely deny that today's church seldom takes sin as seriously as Jesus says we would. Perhaps it is our American live-and-let-live mentality, our sense of rugged individualism, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, Um, the cultural uh, sanctity of minding one's own business, or the concept that nothing is universally sinful. Whatever the case, we must confess a spiritual insensitivity to sin. We don't want to acknowledge it in ourselves, and it is much easier simply to let it slide in the lives of others, but to do so is to fail to take seriously the destructive nature of sin. And Jesus won't allow us this luxury. What are your all thoughts on that? Do you agree with that observation? No, not necessarily. I mean, I don't know, it just seems more kind of missing the point of um, how to put this. I don't think it's just a you do you, you know, just allow you to do your thing. And Oh, because I don't confront you about every single thing. Well, I must not be taking sin seriously. That's not the case. It's kind of like disciplining children. I don't call them out on every infraction. Um, there are some things that are kind of like, man, I got to hit some big stuff here. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you got three out of five. Like, I'm going to praise you. Like, sure. You know, and there's just some nuance there that I think yes. sometimes is kind of dismissed. I don't really like this chapter just for kind of how we dealt with a lot of things. Sure. And kind of more of a. This is the, not the word like people like to use, but like legalistic of like, well, now I need to f- define terms, and now we need to you know kind of go through it, and it's kind of like you you've really missed it, just the same as other people on one side do, that we've kind of made too much of a rigorous structure out of, you know, so therefore like I have to address, I have to take sin seriously. Well, if I don't take sin seriously, then you know, well, of course sin is serious, but like, so don't give me that. But how do we, how do you compassionately still talk to people and at what level? He does deal with that. He does. Yeah, when, when is it appropriate for us to go to our brother? And, and we'll get to that. But just even like terms like, well, now we're required to. Well, hold on, okay. It's like, yes, I, as a parent, I'm responsible for my kids. I'm required to discipline them. It's almost like even just using the term is just like you're missing the point. Yeah, um... What are your thoughts on that, John? I sense in the world some of the points he made in this regard are perhaps more true than I perceive they are among us here. Uh, yes, I don't. I have not sensed a, uh, a condoning of sin. Here, yes, but I I sense it or see evidence of it in the world where. You know, yeah, we we accept everybody, come as you are, and the implication is you don't need to change. Yes, and thank you. I I think that I read this, not that he was talking about the church and we have these tendencies, but human beings by and large, especially our American culture, have these tendencies where um, in our postmodern culture, the, the idea that I would condemn anyone for any part of their lifestyle is the ultimate evil right now. Heaven forbid you tell me I'm wrong. And that, that is baked now within our culture. I don't necessarily see that playing out in, in the Christians that, 
I find ourselves around. Um, I do agree with him that if we start with the assumption that sin is no big deal, we do ourselves and our brother a disservice, a severe disservice. That if we find ways in our minds, and maybe it's these ways, maybe it's different ways, to say it's not so much of a big deal that I'm, I'm just going to let it slide. Um, we aren't treating sin the way God treats sin. God treated it so seriously that he let his son come and die for it. Um, he, he paid a deep, deep cost for it. Um, whether or not we use these, this rationale in our own minds, um, uh, that's something we, we'll each have to determine. Um, I do, and you'll hear me probably too often talk about you know, what our culture teaches. When I, was in, when I was in school, now almost 15 years ago, like this was gospel. Don't you dare tell me I'm doing anything you know, out of place. Unless the police are going to come in and arrest me for it, everything is fine. And uh, I've only seen that grow uh, more prevalent, at least uh, when I'm out in the world. Um, but you bring up a great point there, Tony. Like, does that mean that I'm hovering over your shoulder and waiting for you and saying, well, clearly that's a sin and that's a sin. And, you know. No, because I don't do that with my kids. We shouldn't do that with our kids. Or even um, just the nuance, like, like the conviction versus mercy of like, there's some things a lot more certain about. You just murdered someone. Okay, like. You should probably go to your brother. Yeah. Not <laughs> but, like, there's some gray area there. And, like, they may be things that I might consider sin. So, but I, I can appreciate that you may not feel the same way about that. Like, allowing for that. But that doesn't mean I'm soft on sin either. Correct. And so, like, just trying to appreciate that nuance. Yeah. That. Yeah. And, and, and let's get to that when. Because uh, that's still kind of we like breaking that down. It's almost a laissez-faire kind of, you do you, but it's not. You know, like right. there, there's some nuance to that. that right. It's not, well, anything goes, but it's also not like, well, you have to think exactly what I think about every single issue. So. Correct. Correct. So let's start, if that's okay. Let's start kind of breaking, breaking this down. Um, I believe that I did kind of break it into the sections that the book does. So let's start with that first sentence, um, which he spends the most time with. If your brother sins against you. Some translations of verse 15 include the phrase against you. In fact, the ESV, uh, the ESV does. Um, but some translations leave that out. Is there anyone here who's got a translation that leaves that out? Okay, and what are you using, John? New American Standard. New American Standard. And NIV leaves it out. Leaves it out. Yeah, I don't use it, but... Yeah. Do you know why? It's the same reason that there are some portions of Scripture... In fact, the ESV just did it back in verse 11. I don't have a verse 11 in Matthew 18. Because some of the, the, the translators at the time had access to different manuscripts. And so there are the manuscripts that were available when the translators of the ESV did theirs um, were not available to the translators of the King James Version or even the New King James Version. They actually found some older transcripts, some, I'm sorry, transcripts, older manuscripts um, that didn't include some of these verses or some of these phrases. 
We could do a whole class on, does that cast doubt on the biblical text? Can we trust the scriptures as we have them? Yes, we absolutely can. Um, But he brings that up in this chapter. Does that fundamentally alter our understanding of of this passage? I think his best point isn't all the stuff before that of um, doesn't matter if it's there or not there. He does make a point of, well, it's, it's really important because of how people take that. And it's kind of like, well, if... If he punches me in the face, then I have to tell him. But if he punches you in the face, then I can go tell everybody else. Like, yes. Okay, that makes no sense. How about in both situations you should? Like, I feel like, again, not him, but the argument that he's working against here is also very much that very legalistic of like, well, the nuance of the phrase here is, and so therefore I can escape, you know, having... Well, I'm very Pharisaical of you, you know, if that's if that's your approach, that, well, now I can go and gossip all about it, you know, and I don't actually have to confront anything that this brother's doing. I don't have any compassion for him. Yes. Like, he's warning against that also. Yes. And so, that's a serious problem if that's your attitude toward that. Yes. Mike, did you have a comment on that? Yeah, um, I come to a different conclusion than he has. I think that against you, um, with some of the extra study that I've done, I believe that it probably was, I mean, it, you know, he talks about it was in the oldest manuscripts that, that we've got anyway. Um, the fact that if you look at verse 21 immediately following, keeping in context, Peter's question is, how many times if a brother sins against me then, do I need to forgive him? Yes. And so in context, it makes sense. I, like Tony, don't agree with his conclusion that if I think it says against you, then that means that I don't have a responsibility then. I don't draw that conclusion at all. Yes. I think for me... Here is Christ saying, and he, remember, he's talking to his disciples, and he is talking about your brothers, so believers in Christ, those of you who are with me, that are believe, believers in me, if this happens, this is how you go. And I think we can take that principle and apply that to, if someone sins against me, this is the steps that I need to go through, or a process that makes sense, that gets to the principle of restoration. Mm-hmm. But then I think if we go to James and Galatians, they don't go into this detail. It's the idea of, you know, conf- con- making that without confrontation, confronting the yeah. person of, of yes. his sin and having the responsibility to try to restore that person. Yes. So, you know, I think we probably come to the same conclusion, but I don't do it in the same way because I don't think that just because I think it's it, against you is in there, should be in there, that it says that then now I, I can gossip. It, and now I it can, alleviates yeah. me from having to confront my brother. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And and that is one of the reasons why, even though he didn't do it, I wanted us to read all of these together. Yeah. Because obviously whatever Paul or James wrote later is in no way contradicting right. what Jesus says here. They have to all work together. Right. And so when when Paul talks about, in, in numerous circumstances, confronting a brother either in some kind of sin or even confronting someone who's a false teacher or even confronting someone who is intentionally wreaking havoc of the church, here's the process that you're supposed to go about doing that. Um, in James, um, is, I'm sorry, in Galatians specifically, he says, if your brother is caught in any transgression, whether it's against you or whether it's big or right. little, you know, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Right. Um, and so... Understanding that whether your translation says against you or not, 
this is not the strongest argument, but I do want to make it because I don't feel like he did. Common sense would say, if because he said, if your brother murders somebody, and maybe you're the only one who knows about it, do you have a responsibility to go to your brother and address that sin? Yes. If your brother is beating on their wife, and you're the only one with that knowledge, but it has nothing to do with you, do you have an obligation to go to that person and confront? Yes. So, common sense would say, and other passages inspired by the Holy Spirit would say, that if, if there's sin, and this person is knowingly doing it, and not changing, and it's, and it's affecting them, and it's affecting those around them, confront them, approach them. But how you do it is really at the heart of why Jesus is, is laying this all out. I don't believe he's saying, here's your step-by-step process because I want you to do a checklist. But I do believe that Jesus gives it to us in this order for a very specific reason. That if we shift this out of order, it's not going to be effective in accomplishing the goal. And what was the goal? Specifically in just this passage, what does Jesus say is the goal? To gain your brother. To gain your brother. Not to shame your brother, not to destroy your brother, not to get revenge on you, but to gain them. And so when you go to them um, and how you go to them, keeping this in mind will ensure that we've got the right kind of heart. I'm not just waiting in the same way with my children. I'm not just waiting around every corner, watching them from afar, seeing if they're following every rule so that I can pounce. Like that's, that's not what God calls us to be as parents. And that's not what God calls us to be as brothers and sisters. Um, I am going to assume that you're doing the best job that you can do. And I'm going to assume that God's giving you grace in the same way that he gives me grace. But if I see sin, that you, you know what you're doing and you're still choosing to do it, um, I'm not going to pounce on you and say, sinner, you're going to hell, shame on you. But I, I may feel it necessary to approach you and say, look, I'm... I keep pointing to you guys. I'm so sorry. You're right in the front row. That's all right. Go for it. A bunch of sinners. (laughs) I see something in your life, and and have you you seen this? Maybe they aren't aware of it. And and he does get into that, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, and that's why I think that, and you'll hear me say the word principle, and use the word principles a lot. That's why I think that this whole study is a study on the principle of restoration. I mean, that's what it is. And, you know, I think if we're not careful, we can get bogged down into the minutia of these, like you said, this is not a checklist. We can get that bogged down to the minutia of this is the, these are the steps, this is the checklist you have to go through on every single case that there's ever an issue. But the problem is, is that even throughout the Bible, on several of the different discipline cases we see, the process is a little bit different in, in how it is addressed. But it's always that same principle. You know, is it important that we do it exactly, you know, every time we have to go through three, these three steps? Or is it important that, according to James, the principle, according to Galatians, the principle, the principle is restoration. How do we restore that person? And we being spiritual, how can we save a person from their sins? Right. And keeping in mind both. Because that is, that is the Christian walk, isn't it? Is I don't want to say that the rules don't matter because I have grace. Neither do I want to say it's all about the rules and grace doesn't matter. I don't want to say that the, I don't want to say checklist, but the process is irrelevant as long as I keep the principle in mind. 
nor should I be, I could do all these things, but if I don't have the right kind of heart about it, I'm doing it wrong. That was a major criticism of God's people in the end of the Old Testament. They were going to the temple, they were sacrificing, they were doing all the things, but didn't have the right kind of heart about it. On the flip side of it, if we've got the right kind of heart, but we're not doing it in the way that God wants us to do it, um, we're, not, we're not fulfilling what, what he intends. And so I do appreciate that on, on page 80, when he's trying to help us, because he's not saying this is when you approach them and this is when you shouldn't. Even he says uh, in, on page 80, these are certainly not hard and fast rules that are in no way intended to belittle the seriousness of any sin, but perhaps they will provide some guidelines on deciding whether or not to initiate disciplinary action. I, I wish he had simply said whether or not to initiate a conversation with the individual. Because that's, yeah. that's not... And he did. He, later on in the chapter, he did say, the goal is not to meet this checklist so that I can withdraw from it. That's not what this is. The goal is, I'm going to try this, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to try this because I really want this to work. I want to gain my brother. And so here's something you can try, and if that fails, try this. And if that fails, try this. Um, he says, uh, also in the following chapters, we will encounter texts which speak of specific sins requiring discipline, and, and these are invaluable guides in making such determinations. If action is required by these scriptures, then it is in all likelihood required under the same or similar circumstances now. He's, he's talking about passages like 1 Corinthians. There's a man who is you know, committing adultery with his father's wife. I think we would all agree that person needed to be approached. Paul very specifically says so. Um, deciding whether to confront someone about sin when it will inevitably be a matter of judgment and should always be approached, and this is key, in a prayerful and humble manner. So if I'm praying to God with the intent of gaining my brother, I'm praying to God, communicating to him my love for this person, my heartbreak, uh, that they may be doing something that is endangering them, and then praying fervently for wisdom that you approach it in, in the right kind of way. So, he says, if your brother does, if your brother sins, and, and the Bible tells us this happens to us all, <laughs> it doesn't mean that person is less than you or worse than you. It means that they are in, encountering a situation or put themselves into a situation that we ourselves have put ourselves into on, on occasion. If that happens, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Why do you suppose Jesus specified that second part of that? What are some pitfalls he's hoping that, that we will avoid? Gossip. Uh, especially if what you think you know isn't true or correct. And then you gossip, now you slander. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got a mess that you've got to clean up later, right? In your attempt to address their sin, you yourselves are sinning because you, you haven't gone about this the right way. I don't know about you. This has been difficult for me at times. Sometimes I, I want to approach someone, but I don't know the best way of going about it. So I go to someone for advice. I want their wisdom on how to approach this person. In so doing, I need to explain the scenario to them. Maybe not having all the facts that I should... 
Am I gossiping? Well, no, I'm not. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to get advice. And before long, I've told a handful of people that have nothing to do with this situation. One of the things that I appreciated that he brought up in verse, uh, sorry, verse, no, page 81. Um, he says, kind of in the middle of that first paragraph, why is this aura of privacy so important? For one thing, We may find out that our information about or impression of our brother's behavior is incorrect or has been wrongly interpreted. Maybe we've heard something or maybe we thought we saw something and formed a conclusion that that actually wasn't accurate. And so you don't go to them and say, I caught you, I know it, now we're going to address this. You go to them how? Humbly. Humbly. And I would recommend with questions first, then statements of a fact. Because sometimes all you need to do is ask a couple of questions, and then you can say, I misunderstood this. You know, uh, clearly I've misunderstood this. And now the only person who looks foolish is you. And then you don't have to go and clean up the mess from all the people that you told before. Yeah, Sometimes, though, giving just people the benefit of the doubt. Um, I have a friend that, you know, they've moved away from their family. They, I asked me, hey, you found a church out there and all, you know, and yeah, yeah, found a church. Okay, I'm going to leave it at that. You know, I'm not going to, well, watch your, uh, what, uh, what time are you going? Uh, I need to, uh, I need uh, sure. video evidence that you've been there and I need to, you know, like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there might come a time where I might have to press about that further when some things become more, more evident. Sure. But like, just a little bit of, of Assuming the best, right? Yeah. Love thinks no evil, right? So I'm not going... My first conclusion shouldn't be the worst one, right? Um, and don't you think that maybe that's one of the reasons why... I know it has been for me in the past. One of the reasons why it's been so difficult to take that first step to go to that person because in my mind it's always been it needs to be a rebuke, right? Instead of no, Yes. No. No. You know, if you go down to the bottom of that page, yes. I love that when it talks about the verb, you know, yes. the idea of what it means to tell him his fault. It means to enlighten, to bring to light, to expose, or to point out something to someone. Yeah. And like you said, and starting off with a question. Yeah. He says it need not include strong right. rebuke or severe judgment, but simply an exposure of guilt done in such a way so as to induce repentance. So it's not. Shame on you. You should know better. You've been a Christian for so long. Can't you see that, you know? No. But maybe you know 100% that they are choosing to to live in sin and, and they're unrepentant about it. Maybe you know for sure. Even still, you go to them with this, look, I I see this in you and I'm concerned for you. What can I do to, to help you through it? Um... Can we study together? Can we pray together about this? How can I help you rather than I caught you and, and you're going you're gonna to get it, right? He does point out this is a delicate task as anyone who has ever tried it can attest and it is best accomplished exactly as Jesus says, alone. Um, now I will say there have been a couple of times um, where, where I have asked Karen to accompany me, even in that initial. Um, and that's usually for my own sake rather than for theirs. Karen has a calming influence on me, believe it or not. Um, 
and it and it helps me better remember the conversation afterwards. Um, but it is in it is in no way intended uh, to to embarrass the person. Did I see some hands? So when Craig comes over with Karen, then you know to have your Yikes! Yeah. <laughs> Lock well, the doors. The example of Aquila and Priscilla, we see right. them working together in that. I don't think that was because they should have left the other alone. So that you know, we see that example of right. them working together as a husband and wife. Yes. Just thirty-two minutes. In. Did I see a hand, Gary? Uh, when you were mentioned and asked questions, that's a Steve Covey principle that he teaches in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so that's the approach you take by asking yeah. questions. And I was just thinking of uh, something that Deborah developed with our sons when they were turning teenagers and when they were starting to get a little bit ornery or whatever. She could sense that something was different in them, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it, you know, as to what was going on in their mind, whether it was sin or whatever it was. So she would just take them out to a restaurant and buy a milkshake and sit across from each other and say, I sense that something's not right. Do we need to talk? Yeah. And then she would just stare at them. <laughs> That's very effective. Parents are super good at that, yes. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, sometime, I, I love that. Sometimes that is all that person needs. It is a, hey, I am here for you, and this is an offer, a reminder that we are supposed to be open with each other. And, and that may be all that person needs to go, okay, I can be comfortable with you. I have something I need to confess, right? The scriptures encourage us, I would say command us, to confess our sins, right? And so being that someone who is approachable, um, being that someone that, that people feel comfortable ideally coming to us so that we don't even necessarily have to a- approach them. So what if you go to that person? You tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What can we infer? What should we infer from, from that part of that verse? The conversation's over, you know. No one else needs to be involved. Yes. And we're moving forward from here. That's right. You, you do forgiveness. And forgiveness means you're not going to hold it against them. You're not going to share that information with other people that have nothing to do with that. And you're, you're going to rejoice in the victory of having, having helped this person, having brought them back. What else can we infer from that passage? He's receptive, the other person is receptive. Yes. Repentant, even. Repentant is, is, I would say, a necessary conclusion here, right? If he listens to you, it needs to be more than, yes, the words went into his ears. Well, no, we, we know what's implied here. He listens and acknowledges it and, and repents. Then you've gained your brother. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, absolutely. That first part, though, Whose responsibility is it to get that person to repent? That person. It's that it's that person. No. Now, and as as we have already talked about and we'll continue to talk about this class, we are trying to learn how we can do that, how we can approach another in, in the best way possible, in a in a Christ-like way. But at the end of the day, it's their choice. They get to choose whether they're going to listen or not. 
And if they listen, God be praised, you've gained your brother, so much heartache can be uh, avoided. If we've done this in this way, again, we, we've, we've avoided gossip and messes that need to be cleaned up later. We've avoided any misunderstandings. If I don't come at them in judgment, but I come at them in a, in a discovery, kind of let's ask questions, let's, let's clarify some things. Man, wouldn't it be great if verse 15 is all we needed, right? They listen, they repent, we've gained our brother. But if he doesn't, I'm sorry, was it wrong? That's like the optimum, but it it very rarely ever works out that way. Very rarely, although uh, surely we've seen it happen. Like sometimes that is all that person needs. They just need someone to come to them in love and express care and concern, remind them of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And sometimes, because remember, these are Christians, right? These are people who know all this stuff. Sometimes they just need to be reminded and go, oh, let me take advantage of God's goodness again, you know? Um, I think this also helps us with instruction if someone comes to us and they have a concern how to... Um, how to um, appreciate that and how to know that the other person is going to be really uncomfortable as well mm-hmm. and to not assume um, the worst of that person because we're talking about when we're the one pointing out someone else's sin but we also, for our own good, need to teach ourselves how to respond when we're the one receiving. Great point. Great point. He, he alludes to that at the end of uh, page 82. Not surprisingly, people don't normally like to hear about their sins, even when they're clearly in the wrong. I don't know about you. I read that sentence and I was like, that's it. <laughs> clearly, I don't like to be confronted about it. It's true for all of us. And I know some people who have come to me in all humility, in, in a flawless way, and I have still put up barriers and gotten defensive about that. It, it's, it's kind of this survival instinct. We just don't like to be told we're, we're heading in a direction we shouldn't, right? But I, I do appreciate that. Putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. So say they don't listen. I'd love for us to get through all of this before the end of class. Let's see. Say they don't listen. What does is, what is Jesus um, say that we should do? And Why? Press on, right? Don't give up. Don't say, well, I've I've done my part. I went to them. They didn't listen. Serves them right. I don't care what happens. No, try again. Take take Karen with you. Take Karen. That's right. (laughs) One or two, right? Take, um, yeah, take one or two with you. Maybe it's your wife. Who who else would be a a suggestible? There's, there's a chance in that situation there could be either true bias or even conveyed potential, conveyed, convey, conveyed bias that I think it would be better to take someone who would be viewed as neutral. Yes. Someone who could offer an objective perspective. Someone right? the other person really respects. Yes. Barnabas. A, Bar- a Barnabas, absolutely. 
Someone who is not going to, by their presence, make that person feel like, well, they're just getting reinforcements. No, someone who can help facilitate um, an arbiter, someone who can, and I think it's implied by this, if he refuses to listen to them, I think it's implied that those people you have brought with you are also engaging that person. They are offering instruction and, and exhortation. Yeah, just, a, just the nuance of that very statement, it's not specified there. Yes. Right. As far as who, but, who you're bringing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, well, I brought another person. Like, you know, I've, I've kept to the command. Right. You know, and just the fact that you can appreciate what John said there shows what he's speaking to. He's speaking yes. to a right kind of heart, yes. someone who's who actually cares about this person and is trying, as opposed to, well, I have you know I have my yes the you know proper court proceedings here kind of kind of attitude, yes. and then the whole point of that is trying to persuade this person yes away from not not force but coercion in a in a yeah. gentle manner are we trying to win their soul or are we trying to win the argument yeah because oh yeah i could pick some key right people there. to help me win that argument <clears throat> but that's not that's not what he what jesus is saying we ought to do we're finding people i would recommend um and this is not a hard and fast rule but i would recommend bringing someone perhaps older than you or with with more life experience, perhaps someone who's encountered a situation like this before, who can step in and, and, and help with that. Um, sometimes it's someone maybe not older than you, but it's someone who knows you well. And uh, again, who is this person for? I didn't ask that question. Who are these people for? For truth. Yeah, that's a great that for, way of answering. Yeah, yeah, it's so not necessarily yeah, for you or them. Or them. Right. It's for truth, absolutely. And sometimes that means that that person may need to encourage you to try a different approach. Sometimes that person may say, "Now, okay, I understand your concern with this person. That sin is here and it's present and needs to be dealt with. But I do need to caution you, Craig. Your approach is not godly. Or I do need to encourage you." You're jumping to conclusions that aren't honest or truthful. Again, it comes back to what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish? Question. Does, does this scripture imply that you need to tell the person you're going to bring with you the details of what your concern is before you meet with that person again? Or can you invite someone to come and just say, you know, I've got a concern. I'm talking with this brother. I don't want to tell you anything about it because I want you to um, Make have an unbiased, yes. uh, unbiased Be approach. Mm-hmm. I, I could see some wisdom in that for sure. Allowing that person to share their perspective, their side of the story. You then share yours and, and, and hopefully this person, again, an, an arbiter, this person who can um, help um, offer wisdom. Doesn't that speak to where it says every charge may be established? You know, you're trying to help people understand the situation so that you're getting a, there's a clear understanding of the charge and what yes. that looks like. Yes. And he, he points out on page 83, quite often in such confrontations, meanings can be twisted, intentions misinterpreted, or previous statements misquoted. The witnesses, who are not part of the initial meeting between the two parties, can add balance 
and offer guidance and judgment for the ongoing discussion. Lord willing, it ends there. Having those people there present maybe can help soften their heart. Maybe they listen. Verse 17, if they refuse to listen even to them, right? I'm sorry, we're not there yet. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So now, now we are making this very private conversation. We made it known to a few more when we brought in two or three, or one or two witnesses, two or three witnesses. I think I misquoted that, guys. I'm sorry. No, we're good. Yeah, one or two, we got it. But now it says, bring it to the church. Bring it to the collective. How you do that, I believe, is, is a matter of judgment. But ideally, you're keeping in mind what the goal is. The goal is not to put that name forward in front of everyone so that everyone knows how rotten that person is. No, no. The goal is saying, we are, we are calling in reinforcements. We need your help to, to, to encourage this person and save this person, um, to, uh, to try and bring them back. And so if our motives are pure, we're bringing it to the church. And I have to say, I, I appreciate very much how this congregation has done that, where we aren't necessarily told, now do it this way. We are simply encouraged, if you've got an open door with this person, reach out to them. Try, try and do that. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text. Maybe you're meeting in person. But try. We've tried, and now we're, we're, we're employing you all to try. And if that person refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And we have very few minutes left. I'm curious, does anyone else have a different translation of this? I think they all nowadays pretty much say the same thing, but Bob? I remember the word heathen. A heathen. Some of the, I think the the King King James James version says heathen or pagan. Mm -hmm. Micah? Yeah, New King James says heathen. Yeah. Pagan. Pagan. Right? Based on what we already read and some of the things that have been brought up in previous chapters, what does this not mean? I'm going to treat them like some contaminated thing. Not like a leper. Like where you're avoiding them entirely. Yeah. I'm never going to talk to them again. I'm never going to acknowledge them. I'm not going to think about them. That's not what this means. Well, that'd be a lot easier. (laughs) It certainly would. (laughs) It certainly would. Yeah, the hard part is is actually having to deal with this person continually. Looking for opportunities to actually be with that person and continually bringing this up. Because we're trying to do this, right? Yeah. Trying to gain them, Okay. In a previous yep. study, I had written down Jesus wouldn't preach one thing and then do the opposite. Yes. You know, where Jesus spent time with heathens and ate with tax collectors and, you know, for the purpose of teaching yes. and trying to to save them. Yes. And so that is the goal. That's this purpose. Here we have a brother, you know, back then disciple, now brother in Christ, brother in, in the church. Here we have a brother, and we still have to have a relationship with them enough that we can try to engage them to restore them. Yes. And now obviously it's going to be different. <laughs> it's going to be different for sure. And as we study some of these other passages, there are more in, in first, uh, first and Second Corinthians. What does that look like specifically? Jesus doesn't give us those details here. But he does say, treat them this way. How did Jesus treat those people? Because I've heard people say, 
Well, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He loved them just like he loved everyone. Absolutely 100% true. He, he did. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And he loved them just like he loves all of us. But you never see Jesus hanging out with those people and condoning their behavior right. or and encouraging their behavior. practices of tax, tax collectors. Sure. Somehow... Zacchaeus came to the conclusion that he should do something <laughs> yeah. different than what he had been doing. Yeah. Whether or not that was prompted by Jesus, but some somehow he knew that that wasn't right, and so somehow in that relationship with well, Jesus, Matthew called right. an apostle. So how do we engage with those people? We're going to go into more detail in in more of these other passages. But the heart needs to be remembered. The goal needs to be remembered. Yeah. I'm trying to win them back now. We will see in some of these other passages that it's going to be hard and different. It's not going to look the same. It's not going to look the same. And um, that's going to be important for us to remember. So, keeping this in mind, this is an exceptional, because it's given from Jesus' own mouth, an exceptional way that we need to remember how to approach somebody. We should not go from, if your brother sins, take it to the church. We've missed some steps because that's going to do far more damage um, than good. So, chapter 8. Um, I, I understand we, we kind of glossed over the last bit of chapter 7. If there are other questions and comments about chapter 7, we'll get to that. Chapter 8, we will cover on Sunday and Wednesday um, coming up. Thank you all. For that Gentile and tax collector,